today on Ag News Daily. We've had about five sessions in a row of contract highs. We closed right on the highs today, up 25 cents in old crop soybeans. And, you know, quite honestly, we don't know how high this thing's going to go. One thing I didn't mention about the corn market. Good afternoon and happy Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm excited to be joined by my co-host Delaney Howell on this pretty nice Monday. I mean, it's nice down here in Texas. I think the high today in Lubbock is 90 degrees. Ooh, that is really nice. That's some good suntan and weather. I think uh, maybe it's going to get up to a high of like 75, 80, but it's pretty windy here, so it doesn't quite feel that warm, but it definitely feels nice. I'm going to probably go sit outside for the second half of my day after we're done with the podcast today. You know, I would love to go and sit outside and catch some sun, but I mean, unfortunately, I have the tiniest little backyard at my apartment and we don't have a pool or anything, so I might just go and lay in the grass, I guess. (laughs) There you go. That'll work. Well, Delaney, I don't want to keep on talking about the weather because I'm getting a little jealous that I'm not sitting outside right now like some people might be. I want to go ahead and kick things off talking about some news here. I have a follow-up from the story that I shared, I believe it was on Friday of last week, talking about the Canadian Pacific and Canadian National Railroads and their competition on setting some bids on the Kansas City Southern Railroad. We've been seeing some support now come out for both sides, for Canadian Pacific and for Canadian National. Canadian National said that there was 409 letters that were filed, um, sent over to the U.S. Surface Transportation Board that were in support of Canadian National and them getting that bid on Kansas City Southern And Canadian Pacific said that there were 416 shippers and other stakeholders that have written in to STB in support of them. It's pretty neck and neck. I mean, 409 and 416, I think it's going to be a pretty large battle, it sounds like. I mean, it's billions on billions of dollars that they're bidding on for this railroad. And each of them would have different positives that would come out from each partnership for Kansas or for Canadian Pacific specifically, they would have more of a competition in the Dakotas. And then for Canadian National, it would be more going towards their relationship, I think, with Mexico, if I'm remembering correctly. But each one has a different positive outcome for different people in the industry. So it's going to be a pretty neck and neck battle, it seems. Do they have a timeline, Ashton, for when we can expect this to be done? I did not see a timeline. I'm going to have to do some digging. I, I Maybe that Kansas City Southern will come out and say something because, I mean, in reality, it's kind of up to them on which railroad that they're going to choose to partner with. So I might do some digging on Kansas City Southern and see if they've come out with a statement. But from the articles that I've read just earlier today, I'm not seeing a timeline, no. I also should add here, I saw an article about this this morning, but we have to keep in mind that any acquisition will still have to be approved by the U.S. Surface Transportation Board. So even if uh, Kansas City Southern or Canadian National Railway wins, Canadian Pacific wins, uh, that, that still has to get signed off on by the U.S. Surface Transportation Board. So I'm sure that could also add to the timeline. You're exactly right. And I didn't even think about that, but it makes sense that all these people are writing in to STB for their support. But I don't know. It looks like it's a really split decision. 
It certainly does, Ashton. And speaking of a split decision, China has made a decision to split the country into five regions starting here come May 1st so that they can better contain the spread of African swine fever. The Agricultural Ministry said last week that live pigs will not be allowed to cross any of these borders. So like I said, they're essentially splitting Canada, or splitting Canada, splitting China into five regions. All of those five regions have their boundaries and live hogs will not be allowed to cross any of those boundaries with the hope that the move will push down pork prices in the main producing areas as well as keep in check any further spread of African swine fever. So interesting that they're just now doing this. And to be honest, I think they did this to some extent back in kind of the real big heart of African swine fever a couple of years ago. But it's crazy that they're still having to take these really extreme measures, Ashton. It is. And I, you're exactly right. They piloted this program. I can't remember the year specifically, but it was in just the southern portion of China. I believe they split up the southern part of the country in six different regions. Um, and I guess that that was the main part of China that was experiencing these African swine fever outbreaks. But now that it's the entire country that's really seeing the devastating hit of the disease, they're really trying hard to mitigate it. But honestly, like you said, I'm surprised they're just now doing this. But hopefully, It'll help mitigate the spread and we'll actually, hopefully, maybe see an end to this. I sure think we could soon, although I don't know, with, you know, nine different strains, as uh, Dr. Pyburn mentioned with uh, National Pork Producers Council, that's going to be pretty hard. Well, Delaney, I have some news coming from the Biden administration as they are expected to unveil a spending plan this week that will likely include some changes in tax policy. We in preparation or in anticipation for the Biden administration, a lot of people were talking about his tax plans and all of that good stuff. But agriculture is kind of bracing for this possible change. One possibility is the elimination of stepped-up basis, which allows land and other investments to pass from one generation to the next without capital gains taxation at the time of death. Jim Hagdorn, who is a Republican congressman from Minnesota, told Brownfield Ag News that would be devastating to farm families. He says reimposing the death tax would force people to sell their businesses and farms just to pay the tax. President Biden is scheduled to release the details of his American Families Plan to a joint session of Congress on Wednesday. So hopefully on Wednesday we can report or, you know, maybe it'll have to be on Thursday. But later this week we will have some answers. And we've talked a little bit about this before now that I'm kind of saying the words out loud. So hopefully this will all come to a head later this week. Yeah, and Ashton, this really could be pretty extremely drastic for farm families. I know quite a few families that are watching this news to see how it impacts their operation, especially for those folks that don't have maybe their succession plans in place. This could alter those pretty drastically. It certainly sounds that way, but hopefully, you know, I don't know. I can't say, you know, that it's not going to happen or that it will happen for sure, whether it does or doesn't. Hopefully it's not going to be so drastic that it does affect those families super harshly because mm -hmm. I just couldn't even imagine, you know, the financial burden that this might take. Yeah, and I would anticipate, too, that come another four years or eight years, whenever we see another transition 
out of the Biden administration to maybe a new Republican administration, we'll probably see these things get changed or uh, done away with if we do see a Republican step back into office. So long term, hopefully we can see things the balance, maybe the scales readjusted for agriculture. But for now, it could be a little bit of a scary situation for folks. But I have just one other piece of news here, Ashton, before we chat markets. And that is talking about something that has had a very drastic impact on the markets lately. And that has been weather specifically down in Brazil. Uh, Like I said, I get Eric Snodgrass's daily weather commentary, and he shared in today's that drought is persisting pretty heavily in southern Brazil. He said they could see some rains, a little temporary relief here come May 3rd, but drier conditions are anticipated to happen longer term here for the Safrina corn crop. And we certainly saw that push prices pretty high today with the front month contracts, old old crop corn, I should say, locked limit up today. But uh, we also saw earlier reports today that showed 60% of Brazil's Safrina corn crop is now under increasing moisture stress. And that is expected to expand here over the next two weeks. So that rain that Eric's forecasting probably won't be enough to do a whole lot of good for them. Well, Delaney, I didn't have much news either today, so I am ready to talk about markets if you are. I certainly am, Ashton, because we had some very exciting moves today in pretty much all markets across the board, both corn, soybeans, wheat, and livestock. And like I mentioned, we saw old crop corn lock limit up today. I think this is the third session we've seen here over the past week now that has had some very exciting limit up moves. But May corn today finished limit up at 680 and a half. Dece corn not quite limit up to finish 17 and a half cents higher at 568 and a quarter. Soybeans also had some big moves today to the upside as the May contract locked in 29 and a quarter cent profit to close at 1569. November new crop up 20 and a half cents to close at 1362. In the wheat bits, again, big moves here as the Chicago May contract up 29 and a quarter cent to close at at 739 and a half the July up 27 and a quarter to close at 739 and a half hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today we saw mostly green across the screen with a little bit of mixed action today in the feeder cattle markets but June live cattle up 55 cents to close at 11627 and a half the August up a dollar 10 to close at 11795 and in feeder cattle as i mentioned mixed trade with the May contract down 40 cents today to close at 137.27 and a half. The August up 40 cents to close at 150.30. And in lean hogs, a little bit of continued mixed trade here with the May contract down just a dime today to close at 109.25. The June up a dollar 12 and a half to end at 106.85. And lastly, wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, the strength continued. May up 29 cents today to close at 19.29. The June ending the day at 19.48 up 44 cents. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Brian Hoops of Midwest Market Solutions. Well, for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode, we are joined by Brian Hoops of Midwest Market Solutions. Brian, thanks so much for joining today. It's been a little while since we've had you on. 
Yeah, I appreciate talking with you. And we get to talk about some exciting market times, a lot of uh, strength in the grains, even some livestock strength today. We certainly do. Today was a great day, kind of all across the board, it seems. But I want to talk here first about the big one, uh, May corn and July corn getting locked into the limit up position today. Brian, what was going on to cause that excitement? Yeah, I think this is the second out of the last three days we've been limit up in the old crop category, and it's mainly because of tight stocks and, and these very tight supplies that we have. We're going to go into the delivery period starting uh, on Thursday night into Friday morning. So uh, if you're long those uh, contract months or May contracts specifically, you are subject to delivery, but we just don't expect to see much of any deliveries. And so we're seeing end users um, buy futures trying to get deliverable receipts or be in a position where they would receive them. And this this tight stock situation that is really driving these old crop values higher. Our inspections this morning came out were just an outstanding number once again. Um, so we're, we're exporting a lot of corn with the economy opening back up, people traveling more, a demand for uh, ethanol and for products uh, are certainly improving as well. We do have a lot of animals on feed and that's contributing to the other equation when we talk about demand is our feed usage, and that has been very, very strong this uh, year as well. So we expect to see you know much tighter supplies down the road than what the government has said. We've already exported the, through the end of April what they had forecast we would export for the entire year for uh, corn. So no doubt the USDA is going to have to raise that a couple more times during the growing season. And Brian, as you look at the December new crop corn here. The question that I have was, while we're still seeing some really exciting movement to the upside, uh, we're not necessarily seeing any lock limit up positions there in new crop corn. What's going on there? Why aren't we seeing as much of a reaction in new crop? Honestly, I think if uh, we didn't have this big surge in the old crop category, if we were looking at only weather and uh, growing conditions, we actually probably would have traded lower for December corn. You know, the producers are seeding the corn crop across the Midwest. It's going in the ground in very dry dirt. Um, and if they can get some moisture, we're going to be in pretty good shape as far as uh, planning window, planning time frame. There is a concern about emergence because of cool ground temperatures. But overall, I think this, uh, you know, the corn crop is probably going to go in the ground. We're probably going to uh, seed a few more acres than what we had thought we were going to back in March. And no doubt December corn uh, with this move that it's having is, is buying a few acres from other small grains or maybe even soybeans. And that uh, should lead to uh, much more than the 92 million acres the USDA said we were going to plant in March. So I, I think you could see 94, maybe 95 million actually seeded. Then it gets down to how good our growing conditions are. And, and so far, they haven't been the best, but they are improving with a lot of producers getting out in the fields now that temperatures are starting to warm up. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, too. Uh, Brian, I've talked to a lot of farmers in Iowa and Illinois that are saying, you know, a couple feet down, the subsoil is pretty dang dry, which does cause some concern for drought or longer term weather issues this growing season. Is that what you're hearing from growers as well? Yeah, exactly the same thing. There's just not much subsoil moisture, not much for reserves. So you're going to have to have you know, just perfect rains throughout this uh, growing season 
to not only make up for that shortfall, but also to get the crop, uh, you know, germinated, get it uh, growing and, uh, you know, have a, a bumper yield. Cause that's what the USDA is kind of cut banking on this year is, is near record yields for both corn and soybeans. Um, otherwise we're tight stocks become even tighter this year. So, uh, it's going to be very interesting going season. I don't think you're going to see any type of a, a major sell-off or, you know, here in the month of April or even into early May. It's going to take uh, some time before we can almost be assured that the, the acres are there that we need to grow this crop and the yields will be there as well. So you almost have to get into the pollination time frame in the middle of June before we can have a lot of confidence about this uh, corn crop this year. So it's going to, um, you know, one that this year, I think, as far as marketing goes, a lot of a lot of producers are looking at these price levels and not wanting them to slip away, and um, they're looking at doing some strategies with options. If you make cash sales, of course, buying call options to retain ownership, and if you uh, want to ensure these high price levels that we're at, put options are the way to go. Brian, let's talk soybeans here for a moment because you look at old crop soybeans again. They didn't have limit up positions today, but they are continuing to put in new fresh contract highs. I don't even know how many sessions we've had a contract high put in now in a row, but it's been quite a few. When is the steam here going to end? When's this engine going to stop? Yeah, you know, we've we've had about five sessions in a row of contract highs. We closed right on the highs today, up 25 cents in old crop soybeans. And, you know, quite honestly, we don't know how high this thing's uh, going to go. You, one thing I didn't mention about the corn market, dry weather in Brazil is going to limit how much crop they can grow and how much they're able to export. And kind of goes to the same thing in soybeans. We, we, our exports have, have slowed down quite a bit. Um, our inspections aren't uh, as good as what they used to be, but they are still good enough that uh, stocks are, are tight. Low 100s, maybe even tighter than that. Um, I think you, you're probably going to see soybeans move higher in tandem with the corn market, uh, looking for that price level that'll ration this uh, crop or ration this demand. And we've done a better job of that in soybeans. But, you know, there's there's bigger crop in, in Brazil for soybeans than what we're going to see for corn this year uh, due to that late season dry weather. Brian, we've still got nearly a $2 spread here between the May and the November new crop soybeans. Uh, when are we going to see some some of that spread narrow a little? Uh, you know, that's another uh, good question, tough one to answer because November beans need to buy some acres themselves this year. So they really need to keep moving higher in pace with what corn is doing, uh, outpace, trying to outpace some of this wheat crop uh, as well. Um, you know, we just have you know such a, a bullish influence on on so many different fronts. Uh, the spread between those two months, I don't know that it's ever going to really narrow up that much. You know, we, we're going into deliveries for the month of May. Usually, this uh, market expands after the delivery period. We usually see some sort of a rally, and we may do that as we go into the summer months of of July. We may continue to see this spread widen out. Um, Although I, I don't expect to see a, a major move, we're already, as you said, two dollars wide. Brian, let's talk uh, wheat here for a moment. We've been seeing a lot of dryness in the spring wheat bell, and really just all across the northern portion, northwest portion of the United States, into the northern plains, where a lot of wheat's grown. Is there trouble in River City? 
<laughs> there may be, you know, um, clients of Montana are planting in, in dry dirt, North Dakota, it's dry dirt. They're just hoping and praying it gets germinated and they get some rain to give them some soil moisture. But there may be a real problem this year, just getting the crop germinated, not to mention to grow and, and mature. And the same thing is happening in Canada. Very dry conditions there. Plus, Canadian wheat acres will be announced tomorrow morning. They're expected to be down 1 million from last year. We know our U.S. wheat acres are down from last year and maybe cut even further. There may be producers that just decide with the price of corn, soybeans, maybe they're going to plant one of those two uh, products or, or hold off on spring wheat if we can plant soybeans at a little bit later date, see if it does rain. So there may be even less spring wheat acres this uh, spring uh, for the U.S. to, to deal with. And so it, it's a real concern. And you can see as the market moves higher here, it is becoming more and more concerned about the dry weather in the northern spring wheat plains, cold weather in Kansas, Oklahoma, that may have damaged that winter wheat crop. And Brian, we've started to hear some rumors and trickles about folks turning to wheat to uh, swap that out in place of corn or soybeans. Are we starting to see demand pick up for wheat yet? Are we actually starting to see those numbers and figures play out here? Yeah, well, you know, our inspections that we saw this morning were uh, pretty decent. Um, I believe they were around 21 million bushels. That's a number that is, you know, at the top end of our last four or five weeks. We've had a slowdown in our inspections, but now they're starting to pick back up as we go into the end of this old crop marketing year. Fantastic. Well, Brian, we had a cattle on feed report last week. Talk to us a little bit about what those results did here to play out in the markets today. Yeah, it was, you know, on the surface, it was a bearish report, maybe not as bearish as what had been expected going into it. The placement number was expected to be 33 and to 40% larger than a year ago and came in around 28% larger. So again, not as bad as expected, but still some, some bearish numbers. The futures market, of course, anticipated that we'd have this type of a report and had dropped from a high in, in early April all the way down until um, you know, this last week. And, and finally, we, we maybe have seen an end to this selling pressure. We bounced off some support, rallied in an outside day higher. So the technicals may be starting to firm up in this cattle market just a little bit as we are extremely oversold due for some technical bounce and technical uh, consideration here. We should see some sort of a rally. Now it's going to get down to the cash markets and, uh, and how we fare. The trade had really built in a nice premium in, in March and in April, anticipating numbers are going to tighten up significantly in the second, third, and into the fourth quarters this year. Now it looks like maybe we're pulling cattle ahead uh, because of some dryness in pasture areas, pulling cattle off of the uh, off of wheat stubble, off of uh, grass, and putting them into feedlots, we may have a little bit more cattle on feed than what the market had anticipated as we pull them ahead. And the futures now anticipating cash could be down just a little bit this week. But longer term, third and fourth quarter, especially if we're pulling cattle ahead, we should see things start to firm up a little bit more. Yeah, that is definitely our belief is, uh, you know, these third quarter, maybe fourth quarter are going to be undervalued uh, right now. And they should have a, a lot of strength going into this summer time frame with the economy opening back up. Um, grilling season starting, we should see some very much, uh, you know, very strong demand and higher prices going into the summer, we think. Um, just have to get through these little bit larger numbers first. But if we're pulling cattle head, we are we're definitely uh, going to create a marketing hole later this year. What about the lean hog market? Are we oversold at these, overbought at these levels? 
Yeah, you know, the hog market had such a huge rally um, that started last winter and, and moved into early part of April. We had a little sell-off, and now we're going back and maybe challenging some of these highs again. Um, we've had a couple weeks where our exports were disappointing, and then they have started to recover. And that's what this hog market really hinges on is our export markets. If we can see weakness in the U.S. dollar, that gives us a competitive advantage. And I still think they have a lot of trouble with their herds that they're trying to rebuild in China. And until they do, um, I think China looks at the U.S. as an ex, you know, an importer of uh, product. And um, I, I think we're looking at strong exports for the next several weeks. Fantastic. Well, Brian, before I let you go, if folks want to chat Marcus with you a little bit more, or listen to some of the commentary you're putting out, how can they do that? Well, we have a website address that lists all of our branch offices. Maybe we have one close to you. That's at MidwestMarketSolutions.com. You can call me directly at 417-501-5132. Fantastic. Well, Brian Hoops, Midwest Market Solutions, uh, again, thank you so much for joining today. Well, again, a big thank you there to Brian for coming on and chatting markets. Always a pleasure to have him on, Ashton, and uh, certainly a fun day to talk about markets today with pretty much everything across the board being higher. Well, Delaney, hopefully we will continue to have some fun in the markets and have some more fun conversations the rest of this week. So, folks, you'll have to tune in to hear the most from the Ag News Daily podcast at agnewsdaily.com. And be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily so you never miss any of our awesome and fun stories. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.